listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 227. How's it going, Mark? I think I'm doing great. Paige, you came to work with a beer in your hand. Well, it is after five, so. <laughs> but at OGG, and we're free free to drink twenty four hours a day. It's what gives us our creativity. <laughs> <laughs> Speak to for speaking for yourself, huh? Yes. Well, no. I mean, we all enjoy a glass or two, most of us anyway. But anyway, speaking of enjoying stuff, for our last episode, I talked about that we were doing a live event in January. Well, that's been pushed to February, but we have the venue locked down. We're waiting on two or three things to promote this. So just pay attention on it to our social media. This is going to be a hybrid event. We're going to have 80 people in person here in Houston and thousands and thousands on the live stream. We're going to celebrate our one millionth download for this show page. Can, you, can you believe the Oil & Gas this week has hit a million downloads? No, I can't. That's rare for any podcast, much less one niche in oil and gas. Right. We're also going to announce all of our new shows. We're going to thank and salute our sponsors. And then Paige, we're doing something revolutionary, which to us, we're kind of used to that. We're always the first in a lot of things. We're doing something that nobody's ever done, and we're not going to announce it until the live event. So people pay attention, especially our social media. The details should be out probably the week. I feel like I should know what this is, but I don't. I'm yeah, just, you do. Well, it's not really on the top of my head because I'm helping it organize the entire event. So I'm like more worried about centerpieces right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, part of our proceeds for this event is going to go to Red M to fight human sex trafficking. And yeah, and please check out my recent episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders where I actually dive down into that with uh, David Reed on giving back. Yeah, a little bit more somber show than you usually do. Yeah. Super powerful. I mean, it was, yeah. it was moving. Yeah. So. Speaking of moving, looks like somebody corrected my English. Well, that's that's never going to stop. <laughs> so this is a review, folks. Yeah, it says, Mark, and it's five stars. Did you mean surfactant? LOL, what's salfactant? Yeah, so evidently I pronounced surfactant wrong or in a way that was not correct to, well, this person on Apple Podcast name is surfactant. <laughs> no, it says surf addict. Oh, is that surf addict? Okay. Yeah, but it looks like it's spelled differently. So anyway, so my apologies for butchering the name of a surfactant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's time to get new shows. What, what we got going on other than the fact that I can't talk? <laughs> Which is funny because that's what you do for a living. <laughs> anyway, so let's start with the first story, which is Total makes significant oil fine. Yeah, so this is actually off the coast. This is Surnama, is, and I believe that's on the upper east coast of South America, actually not that far south from Venezuela. I could be wrong. I could be on the other side of the world. But anyway, this was a decent, you know, this is 2,300 feet of water. They encountered, oh my God, the pay zone is huge. 206 feet of hydrocarbons, mm -hmm. 190, foot feet, 190 feet of net black oil, volatile oil, and gas. It looks like it's commercially viable already. This is really cool. So this is a joint venture between Total and Apache. Looks like they did a really good job. They got the block at a relatively low price. They're drilling. They're looking to go in production. 
it looks like the joint venture has already been signed up off to actually go in production. So bottom line is this is jobs. Here's, here's Total and Apache working together. They made a significant find in a part of the world that's actually, I think, has a lot of promise for hydrocarbon recovery. And it's just, you know, it's just a great thing that even with us coming out of this uh, crazy 2020 world and, you know, the, fi finally more or less the end of the U.S. elections just shows that the big oil and gas independents still see the value in drilling relatively deep water projects around the world. So good for them for, for actually hitting pay dirt. I'm looking forward to more coming from both of them from that part of the world. All right. So the next one is Equinor of test floating solar off of Froya. Yeah, so this is really interesting. So a uh, big shout out to Stephen Bull, who heads the renewable program for Equinor. He's a friend of the show. Sorry, Stephen, if you're listening, we have still not launched our renewables podcast. <laughs> I hey, told you it would be the end too, of last year. Yeah, there's too many. But 2020 was a little different. So it's it's still coming. But anyway, this is really interesting. So they're building a floating wind platform page. And the what they're trying to do is they're not worried about how much electricity they can produce. They're mm -hmm. worried if the darn thing will just hold together. This is in the North Sea, which is some of the worst wave. Well, that makes sense. Action, iceberg, yeah. seal impact, you know, wind, frigid temperature type of stuff. And it's interesting because they're working, it's a joint venture with a municipality. I think actually a Norwegian municipality, that I think a town's called Froya. And so they've already formed the joint venture where Froya's could use their infrastructure to offload that offshore electricity generated by this project. And so they got Moss Maritime in there just basically trying to figure out how do you build a floating wind farm that doesn't fall apart in the rough conditions of the North Sea. And they think they have it down pat. So it's going to be a full-scale pilot. So this isn't going to be a scaled pilot. It's going to be full-scaled. They're going to go in production. And they have two other projects they're working on. The cool part of this is if you think about offshore oil, not exploration, but actual production. When you think about the engineering and the construction it takes to build production platforms, it's awfully similar to what it takes to build an offshore wind platform. So a lot of the same companies, the same engineering expertise, the same experience, the same materials will be used. I just think it's cool that Equinor is, is going down this route because what they're doing is they're doing proof of concepts of things that people said you couldn't do. Right. Equinor is already one of the first companies. And if you don't know who Equinor is, it's old stat oil. They changed yeah. their name. But Equinor is already one of the first companies that actually have shown the proof of concept of using offshore wind to power a drilling rig offshore, which to me makes just 100% sense. You're not running gen sets. You're not hauling diesel 100 miles in a, in a crew boat. And you have the full electrical capacity of a windmill right next to your production platform. So hats off of them for pulling this off. Let's, let's hope that it holds together and they actually can prove the concept and actually make this commercially viable in a few, in a few years. All right. Back to Total. Total drops their API membership. Yeah, so this has gotten a lot of news. And if you don't know who API is, it's the American Petroleum Institute. API is the, or was, actually, with this current, with this election we just went through, I haven't had time to, to check, look this up. But at one point, API was the second largest political lobby group in the U.S. They represented the oil and gas industry's interest to Congress. They also set the standards for everything. So if you've ever been offshore, the soap that you use to wash your hands offshore probably met some API standard. Yeah, the, some recommended practice. Yep. The bolts that hold that mud pump probably meets an API standard. And to support all of that, they have local chapters and the largest local API chapters here in Houston. And I sit on the board. I'm the board of I'm the director of public relations for that. So this looks really bad. This is actually a little bit deeper cultural divide. So first thing is Total has been a member of API, but they were not a huge member. So API is suffering the death of a thousand paper cuts. It's slowly the money that people donate to API and the lobby does has for years been slowly getting less and less impactful. 
And then there's this cultural divide going on between the American and the European super majors. Because of the Paris Agreement? It actually started before the Paris Agreement, but yes, because okay. of the Paris Agreement. It's just a different mindset. And it's not that one side is right or wrong. It's that we think about things differently. Now, remember, Shell is a European super major. A lot of people think Shell's a U.S. super major, not they're European. So BP, Shell, Total, Equinor have a different mindset toward the future and their impact, especially around carbon dioxide and the ability to be carbon neutral. The American super majors, ExxonMobil and Chevron, have a different, just a different culture, different mindset around it. So I would not be surprised as in the next couple of years that we see Shell and BP and maybe even Equinor pull out of API. Chevron and Exxon have both said they have no reason to pull out and they don't plan to. But this boils down to literally a, a difference in opinion on what the API says the future is as far as carbon dioxide and the operation of the oil and gas industry and its effect on climate change and what Total says. And it, it's just a difference of opinion. That's really interesting. The API actually came out with a statement not too long after this happened, basically saying that, hey, look, we totally support differences in opinion. It's one of the most important things about our industry is that we have difference of opinion, but we can still work together. But right. they, we've had this split between us and Europe's top energy companies that started probably about 10 years ago and it keeps that split keeps getting wider and wider and deeper and deeper and by total pulling out it's gonna place a little bit of pressure on bp and shell to also pull out and and also equinor now the interesting thing is europe has its own version of the api which i cannot remember what it's called that also sets all the standards out there mm -hmm. and so it's be interesting to see if the standards start to change from this political rift that's going on so we're going to keep an eye on this. I'm not worried about it at all. The a API itself does need to change the way they communicate, does need to change the way they recruit for membership, the way they look for sponsorship dollars. They still do things the old way, which doesn't work. I was going to say it's very old school. Yeah, you know from personal experience. Yeah. We don't need to go down that route. <laughs> One day we'll tell We don't want to bore everybody. Actually, if we give Paige another beer, we might be able to get her to tell that story on this show. The, <laughs> but now's not the time. Yeah, yeah, no, correct. But anyway, so, you know, Total pulled out. Let's see what, where this goes. I think it's going to be a trend. I think APIs is going to end up using, losing the support of BP and shell but you know if api can can change the way they do stuff and change the way they communicate to the world i think they're gonna be an okay place now do i think they're gonna change in time eh. no but anyway it is what it is all right so the next one is mcdermott completes offshore india project so this is actually really interesting it's a subsea and a lot of people don't know this so in the right conditions when you have a bunch of wells drilled in a bunch of fields offshore somewhere in the world it makes a lot of sense to process and move all those hydrocarbons on the subsea floor. So even though it's under thousands of pounds of pressure and it's cold and dark, the conditions stay exactly the same. Right. As opposed to the surface where some days you have waves, sometimes you don't, sometimes you have high temperatures, low temperatures. That makes sense. So you build all this infrastructure. And speaking of Shell, I think Shell was one of the first companies that started doing this in the 50s or early 60s in the North Sea. And here's McDermott, which is an EPC company, engineering, procurement, construction, actually doing this work developing this subsea field for Reliance Industries. If you look at what they're doing, they're basically in pipelines, piggybacks, plets. You know what a plet is, Paige? No, I don't think that's like the only thing I don't know out of all of this. <laughs> okay, I know Technique FMC listens to this, and I know you all <laughs> built some of the best plets, so I may get this wrong. So a plet, if I remember right, is pipeline in termination, and you have a plem, which is pipeline in manifolds. And if I'm wrong about that, Technique FMC, let I'm me I'm sure know. Tony's going to point it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't let the public know I was wrong. Just let, <laughs> just let me personally know I was wrong. But anyway, so they're building this whole 
infrastructure to be able to move natural gas and oil, separate the sand and the water, and then bring it on shore for delivery all on the subsea floor. And this is this type of stuff I really love. I love the subsea world. I love the engineering that goes in the subsea world. You know, it's, it's a bit of a hobby of mine. And so it looks like they've already gotten pre-commissioning done. They're getting close ready to start up. And so this is just going to be a, a very environmentally friendly, very cost-effective way to move those hydrocarbons from those fields in the bottom of the ocean floor back to land where they actually bring it to market. And McDermott's one of several companies that are large enough that can actually do this type of work. So just, you know, hats off to McDermott, who actually just came out of bankruptcy not that long ago. So Is that right? Yeah. Okay. For, for them to pull this off is pretty, pretty freaking incredible. But it's, it's what they do day to day. All right. So next one is U.S. blacklist CNOC for bullying in the South China Sea. This should be interesting. Uh, so, you know, we've talked about this before, about how the Chinese government and their nationalized oil companies basically get as close, as far in the gray area as they can without crossing over. They and push some buttons. Yeah, they're pushing buttons. And literally all of their neighbors, and I mean everybody, Vietnam, I mean literally everybody in the South China Sea, doesn't like them for doing this. And so this is one of those things where the Trump administration had pushed really hard back and basically had laid sanctions. And so what's happening now is CNOC, which is the Chinese National Oil Company, which is one of the few nationalized oil companies in China that does actually offshore and deep water exploration. This is basically CNOC coming back and saying, I know there's sanctions for us pushing into these territorial waters in the China Sea, but you know what? We don't care. We're going to do it anyway. Now, the reason I suspect they're saying that is because our current administration has two days left in office. Yeah, <laughs> this is Monday, January eighteenth. So we've got a, yeah. we've got a couple of days until all of this comes to fruition. Yeah, and so what they're basically saying is, come on, bring the sanctions, right? Now that's a lot of tough talk. What I'm sure is going to happen is, as the administration changes hands in two days that the new administration that's coming in is not going to enforce the sanctions or not going to even apply the sanctions, which our past administration said, this is what's going to happen if you cross the line. So, you know, I think this is, you know, part of the world. This is China reacting to our change in leadership in this country and basically saying, we don't think you could do anything about it. The problem with that is that before the U.S. kept China from pushing too far into Malaysia or Vietnamese waters in the South China Sea, now I suspect that China's could push further than they did before, especially in the last four years. Yep. You may have some conflict get started over this. And I'm telling you right now. Oh, I, would, I wouldn't put it past it at all. Yeah. I'm just telling you right now, Japan is not going to play this game. Oh, right? no. At no. all. And mm -mm. all it takes is for, for China to push this a little bit hard. And there's a history here, people. Go back and read your history books. Right. And that actually would be horrible if we have small skirmishes instead of the U.S. just stopping it from happening, which is what would have happened with the sanctions. So let's keep an eye on this. This is a mess that's going on, and we just got to you know keep our eye on this. I don't think it would be hard to keep an eye on it. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next article is Halliburton switches to grid electricity for Permian frack jobs. We love the people at Big Red. <laughs> we have a lot of listeners there, and we got a new show that may Maybe they have something to do with, <laughs> but this is really cool. So most frack jobs, and if you don't know, and I don't want to get into the geology of what's going on, let's get into the operational side of what's going on. Basically, you pump a whole bunch of water and sand and a couple of chemicals under high pressure in a hole that you dug in the ground. And to do that, you need a lot of horsepower. Right. And to generate that horsepower, typically we use diesel powered gensets. The problem with that is, number one, it's very inefficient. It's also very rough on the equipment because the generator sets don't produce 
consistent electricity like factory power does, right, which is rough on the equipment. And it also is adds more danger to the environment because now you have to worry about hauling diesel to run the gensets. Right. right? And so what Halliburton's doing is actually using what they're calling grid here, which is basically factory power, the same electricity you run your house on your business by connecting it to power lines for their frack jobs. Now, this is making it look like Halliburton's doing something unique. They're really not. It's a matter of, is it make fiscal sense for the electrical distributors to build the infrastructure, the power lines close enough so that you can actually tap into it to frack a well. And what's happened is after the boom in the Permian, it made sense and you're starting to see the infrastructure being built so that you now can use factory power to to frack wells, which is just great for everybody. But the other thing that's really interesting about this page, and and we may or may not have something coming out about this too. And the only way you're going to find out is attend our February event, either on live stream or live. But there's other uses in the frack fields for electricity. So you can also use flare gas to run gensets, right? And then, so instead of using that gas, which normally you would have flared, uh, a bunch of companies out there figure out how to handle that varying BTUs and the hydrogen sulfide that's in the gas to run gensets. Well, that's really cool because now you're taking something that you would have flared and used to run a generator set to make electricity to frack a well. But you're also seeing things happen where they're using that same flare gas to make money in different ways, like mining cryptocurrency, which which sounds like so sci-fi, but it's <laughs> real and it's happening and I've seen it. Um, and once again, we we may have something to do with that. So people stay tuned. But I just think it's really cool that, that Halliburton is taking the time to show that if you use grid electricity or factory electricity, it lowers your cost, makes it safer and it's better for the environment. So hats off to Big Red for pulling that off. All right, next article, Atlantic Offshore Protects Against Cyber Threats with Fleet Secure Endpoint. Okay, can I get really geeky? This is why I picked this, because I knew you would get geeky. So Atlantic Offshore is an offshore vessel operator. They're mid-size. They got, I'm not sure how big their fleet is, three or 400 boats around the world. But anyway, these boats have constant communication, because nowadays you need that, not just for radio type of communication, but you need to be able to move data back and forth, Right. And so they're talking about how they have the -the state-of-the-art connectivity, and they're worried about cybersecurity on their fleet. And their state-of-the-art connectivity is basically doing low-orbit, very narrow aperture microwave in the KA band. And so they get up to speeds up to 4 megabits per second, but they're normally about 250 kilobytes per second. Do you know how slow that is? 250 kilobytes per second. That's very, very slow. You couldn't download a picture. It'd take a minute for you to download a picture. There it was just no way sounds frustrating, Mark. It sounds it, frustrating. It is. <laughs> and the whole reason I bring that up is we're talking about state of the art, but when you actually get to the bandwidth, you see how hard it is for these vessels to have any type of connectivity. But as these vessels and as these companies switch towards digitalization, cybersecurity becomes bigger, bigger issue. You don't want somebody hacking a crew boat. Right. And before the only way you could have hacked it is showed up within your own boat with a Jolly Roger flying and then throw the road and take over the boat. Now you can actually do it from across the world with a computer terminal. So since they're shifting toward digitalization and since they know that they're going to have higher and higher bandwidth and since they know there's more and more data being passed back and forth, it makes it much easier, much more tempting target for cyber terrorists. And so this is just Atlantic Offshore before they get there, making sure that the very base, they have cybersecurity built into everything they do. This way, it keeps shareholder price up. It keeps their fleet operating. It's safer for people. And you're not going to have somebody steal a ship by you know hacking into the control system. So I just think it's really cool that they're looking at this now which, so that it protects their fleet in the future. And they're working with Endpoint Security, which is one of the bigger cyber risk companies out there. So you know, good partner in here, but I would have never in a million years thought about somebody hacking 
their crew boat. But this yeah. is what we're talking about. They want to make sure in the future nobody can hack their crew boats. Well, I mean, people can hack cars, so this doesn't really surprise me. Yeah. It's scary with the crew boat because unlike a car, nobody would notice, right? The moment your car starts acting erratically, people will notice. Somebody call the police. There's X amount of damage that a bad guy can do. With the crew boat, can you imagine running a crew boat wide open to a rig? Oh, imagine my Imagine what would happen? Yeah, yeah, no, I know exactly what would happen. Yeah. yeah. So Disaster. Good job, Atlantic Offshore, thinking for it. All right. U.S. watchdog large U.S. banks can no longer deny funding to oil and gas. You know, I'm not quite sure how I feel about this. I wasn't sure either. So basically, the large American banks have had a law passed where they cannot deny lending money to oil and gas companies. And the reason it even got passed is, you know, they had a bunch of banks uh, recently talk about they refused to fund Arctic drilling. Now, here's where it gets retarded. Nobody's drilling in the Arctic, nor does anybody want to drill in the Arctic right, right. now. We're going to have to have crude prices close to $100 a barrel before it even makes economic sense to drill in the Arctic. And before they drill, they have to go out and do some testing, right? And nobody's done any of that. Plus, the weather conditions suck. You know, so why would you want to go drill in the Arctic now where for pennies on the dollar, you can go drill in the Gulf of Mexico and do it in your short sleeves, right? So nobody's trying to drill in the Arctic, people. Nobody. <laughs> but you have people arguing about companies drilling in the Arctic. And so the banks, really from a marketing point of view, over the last, say, two years have, have taken a stand on we will not finance drilling in the Arctic, which is retarded. It would be just like them going, you know what? We are not financing drilling on Mars. Well, nobody's freaking drilling on Mars, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same thing. It's not applicable. <laughs> no. So all the big banks, Goldman Sachs, Dulch, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, all said they would stop financing projects in the Arctic, which nobody's asking for financing. Anyway, this rule, which is expected to take place in April of this year, only affects the banks that are $100 billion in assets and more. And it basically says you cannot deny financing to the oil and gas industry because you're worried about social climate type of change risk. Now, here's where I have a problem with that. It's still a private company. So let's say you and I owned a bank and we were large. Let's say we we're over $100 billion assets. You know, Let's say it took us you know, our whole lifetime to build this bank up. And let's say that you and I decided that animal cruelty is something that we hated. And we're not going to finance any industry that supports animal cruelty. And then the government steps in and says we have to. Yeah. See? And it's not like the oil and gas industry can't go get the money somewhere else. It's not like there's only one bank. Right. So, and it also, they're only talking to American banks or the branches of banks that operate in America. And it messes with my my feeling of free competition, let the market rule. Because what happens is, it's not that anybody wants to drill in the freaking Arctic, but if they did, and the big banks from a PR point of view saying, we're not financing that, a smaller bank would go, we'll do it, which would then give the smaller bank the business, which would help them grow, and then maybe they get bigger than the big banks. So I really think the free market should control this. I, I don't like this idea of the U.S. stepping in and making a law saying that you have to loan to oil and gas industry. I think it should be up to the bank. And like I said, if we only had one bank or, or there's only a few I might feel different about it, but since we don't, and since we work in a free market, I don't really think I, I support this. Of course, our incoming administrations could come in and everybody, including myself, thinks they're going to just throw this out the door and they're going to let the big banks do whatever they want. So it's really kind of a moot point us <laughs> discussing this, especially since nobody wants to drill, drill in the Arctic. Arctic. <laughs> but, you know, that's Here the, we are. That's Here the we world are. we live in. <laughs> Okay, so the next article is developer. Keystone XL pipeline could be emission-free. Oh, it's going to be emission-free, all right. 
because our new administration is going to kill, kill it. Kill it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> which is a, which is sad. Because they put so much money into it. So much money, so much time, you know, and a bunch of companies are going to lose a bunch of money. And the truth is, remember I talked about earlier how I think what's happening now in the U.S. is going to support the Canadian oil and gas industry? Mm-hmm. Well, part of the support would be the Canadian oil and gas industry benefits from our current administration, start selling more hydrocarbons to the U.S., but they have to get them here. So we have a couple options. So that is going to happen no matter what. We're going to buy Canadian hydrocarbons no matter what. We can either ship it in a pipeline, which means it's the safest way for the environment to ship it, or we can ship it by rail. Right now, a lot of it's being shipped by rail, right? The other thing that they don't talk about in this article is there's a whole bunch of pipelines that when they work together as a team, can do the same thing Kingsto's doing, moving heavy crudes from Canada to the Gulf Coast of the U.S., although it's not a single pipeline. And, I mean, the poor Keystone Pipeline, they have jumped through hoops. Originally, they didn't want union people working on their project because it drives costs up. Now they're willing to take union Well, there's – Just like anything, just anybody. Just yeah, well, it's – you know, our done. new administration loves union labor, right? Oh, that makes That's sense. That's why they're doing that. They've also built battery banks – I'm not laughing. Well, I am. not going to lie. They've also built battery banks, solar and wind, to power the pump lift stations – I'm telling you now, from a pipeline safety point of view, I want that pup lift station running on factory power with, with genset backups. Right. I don't want it rolling on solar and wind. And I don't know the details. I'm willing to suspect that the solar and wind to run these pump lift stations actually probably have factory power as a backup. I don't know that for sure. I would hope so. Geez. But, the, you know, they've done all this stuff to appease the environmentalists. I don't know how many environmental studies have been happening. I don't know how much... How many times they've moved the pipeline to protect some feathered grouse or some frog or something? And no hate mail, people. I I love wildlife. They're delicious. You only have a degree in it. You know, no big deal. (laughs) But our current administration has already said they're going to kill the project. You know, it's going to get killed. Now, the funny thing is parts of it are already built. So we'll just see, you know, there has to be some way for these these several companies to get their money back or at least use the parts of the infrastructure that's already been built. Yeah, what do you, what do you do with that whenever it's already been built and it just sits there? I don't know. Actually, if somebody knows the answer to that, I would love to hear. Yeah, I would love to hear that. I would love to hear, you know, what's those parts and pieces that have been built. So, you know, it is what it is. It's darn shame because, you know, finishing that project would have been jobs and tax dollars, security. It would have been more revenue for our Canadian brothers and sisters. Who have to, they're not going to have to pay as much in transport. Isn't Canada on lockdown right now because of the coronavirus? Oh, yeah. 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 Way worse than we are right now. There's Well, they, actually, we're pretty locked down, too. They, no, we, they're opening up New York and stuff in California. Are they? Yeah, slowly like, but surely. You know yeah. more than I do. Well, you know. I've kind of been glued to the TV lately. I had to take a couple of days off. I was just like, I might explode. My brain might explode. Uh, it's crazy. And I'm not going down the rabbit hole, but the stuff I've seen. People in send our me stuff to get into the rabbit hole and I have to decline because yeah. I, I have to remain sane. You know? Yeah. And we have to make sure we try to report as unbiased as we can. Right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so Keystone Pipeline looks like would have been emission-free if they would have ever completed the project. They're not going to complete the project. It looks like our new administration is going to kill it. Oh, well. All right, so the next one is U.S. EPA eyes extending refinery biofuel deadlines. No action on waivers. <sighs> I know this is your favorite subject. <laughs> I've talked about this a million it. times. I'll try to give you a high-level overview. So in the U.S., refineries that make fuel think diesel and gasoline, by law, have to incorporate a certain amount of ethanol in there. The ethanol is a competing product that is financed through subsidies. So, Paige, imagine if there was another oil and gas podcast Mm -hmm. and the state, let's pick a good state, the state of California, 
You said good. Just trying to be funny. Okay. The state of California. <laughs> state I was Cal- trying to be funny. The state of California financed the other oil and gas podcasts. Okay. Right. You can imagine the format of that show. Right. Yeah. Right. Now imagine the federal government said, Mark and Page, 20% of your listening time, you have to give to this show for free. Right. The government of California is paying for it. And then by the federal government says, we have to take 20 minutes or 20% of their airtime and put on our show for free. That's the law. That's what the renewable fuel standards does to the refiners. They have to take a competing product that is subsidized by the U.S. government and mix it with their fuels. It's not good for cars. It's not really good for the U.S. energy supply. Ethanol works great in Brazil because they don't have to malt the corn. There's not that extra step we have to do here. If you look at the picture of where ethanol is produced in the U.S., it's in the center of the country where all the corn is grown. The government subsidized the corn farmers to make ethanol. If you look at all the vehicles that can run at the E85 vehicles, they're on the east and west coast. The people that buy them think that by just buying an E85 vehicle, you're helping the environment. You're not because you're just filling up normal gasoline. You'd have to drive it from California, New York to Iowa and fill up with E85 fuel, which is the only place you can get it to get the benefit of having an E85 vehicle. Go figure, right? Right. Yeah. If and you so, can see my face, I'm just. <laughs> and so what's happening here is that the refiners in 2020, because of the incredible lack of demand for fine products had asked the EPA for waivers like, Hey, don't make us do this thing, which hurts our business. And the EPA said, yes, we will hold off on these deadlines. The EPA is saying now that it will extend the deadlines for another two months. I'm sorry. Yeah. Another two months. So instead of April, it's going to send it to June of this year. At that point, they're going to start enforcing again. Now, once again, the EPA's ability to enforce this was greatly diminished by our past administration. I suspect our current administration is going to turn that diminishing of powers around and give EPA a lot more power, a lot more teeth. The EPA will then, doing that, will probably double down on the renewable fuel standard, which then means you and I and everybody else in this country go pay more for gasoline. So. Yeah, and it's a man-made fake environment. If And please, people, if you're an ethanol producer or a corn farmer that gets ethanol subsidies, I'm not beating up on you. I'm just saying y'all have gotten subsidies for 10 years. It's time to build a compete in the market. Can you make ethanol that could compete dollar for dollar for gasoline? If you can, great. And let's see if people want to put it in their vehicles. There is no vehicle manufacturer that will warrant, honor their factory warranty with 100% ethanol in your gas tank because it's horrible for your engine. It absorbs water out the air. Ethanol is good for other things like drinking, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Anyway, so you know, it's the renewable fuel standard, I'm sure, is going to stay around. It's going to make our refiners blend billions of gallons of ethanol with their current fuels that go into our gas tank. It's not good for our gas tanks. The people that farm the corn make a profit, but only because the government subsidizes it. It's just a mess. It really does need to go away, but it's not. So we got to deal with it. All right. That's it. That's it? Yeah. Oh, and then you probably should have mentioned earlier that when we are having our live event that we're going we're gonna to be recording live, but we're not putting it out on here. So you have to show up right, right, right. So to since, the live stream. Since it's our celebration of our 1 millionth download for this show that you're listening to right now, we're going to actually do a live recording at our event, but it will not be recorded, right? So if you want to watch us do our celebratory episode of Oil & Gas this week, our 1 millionth download celebratory, you have to watch the live stream or you have to be there in person because we're not going to record it and put it out as a normal show. Yeah. Yeah. Which really, people, you can log on to YouTube or Twitter or Facebook for 30 minutes. It's going to be fun. It's, it's We have a lot of stuff to announce, a lot of really cool stuff. I still am just hats off, almost in tears of gratitude to our audiences. I just never, when we started this, did I ever 
think we would get to 100,000 downloads, much less 200 or 500,000 or 750 and a million. And, and the truth is we're past a million. It's going to be interesting to see where we are. But, you know, audience never could have freaking done it without all of your help and your support and your love, your input, even making fun of the way I do my transitions and my pronunciation of stuff. Still love all of y'all. Thank you so much for getting us to where we are. And come with us for the ride because we're going places. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I got like at least 70 more, 75 more episodes until you replace me. <laughs> so, <laughs> or maybe just like through the review we got the other day, when am I replacing you? <laughs> and hats off to IBM for sticking with us. They've been with us for years, love them to death, the sponsor of this show. And speaking of IBM and how much we love them, we give away this really cool shirt because they love you too, audience. So go to the show notes, click on the link, sign up to win. If you don't win, Sign up again. You can sign up every week. And then rig count. I'm almost scared to ask what. Actually, I think it's good news. Let me pull it up. We got a little bit of good news. So U.S. count is 373. We're up 13. Awesome. Canada is at 161. We are up 44. Way to go. Now, internationally, it's 665. So we're only down four. So okay. this is this is looking good. This is looking good, especially for Canada. Yeah, good for y'all, Canada. Yeah. And then just go to LinkedIn and search OGGN and anything that pops up, sign up for it. We have groups and street teams and company. And the street team, actually, we're getting very organized with the street team. So if you want to be part of the extended family, be willing to donate an hour's worth of work a month. And then we're totally okay if you can't do it because life gets in the way. You join the street team. It's coming together very well. And then, you know, the deal about the first Friday Q&A, you can either go to Oil and Gas This Week or OGGN.com. Either way, ask us a question. If we use your question on the air, we give you a big shout out. Just remember the goal is not to stump Paige and I. And then finally, as events are starting to happen, we have one ourselves that we're doing. I think we have two conferences in 2021, real in-person conferences. We've been oh, do we to. really? Yeah. Where? There, we have one in Norway and we actually have one in New Orleans, I believe. Okay. So I'm, I'm up for the one in New Orleans. I'm not sure. Norway's when, in the summer. Oh, so okay, 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 okay. Yeah. All um, right. <laughs> go sign up for my monthly oil and gas events email. We don't spam you. We take all the oil and gas events plus insider information that the public's not aware of. Put it in your inbox once a month for free. And sometimes it ends up in your spam folder, so please look for it. Yeah, actually, if it does end up in your spam folder, can you help me personally and click and mark it as not spam? If we get enough people doing that, it will quit ending up in people's spam folder. And then if you'd like myself or any of the team to come speak at your event, let me know. We'd be happy to share the details. You ready to get out of here? Yeah. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here's Savannah with Events on Deck. Happy New Year, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the Events on Deck for January 2021. This month, we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two in-person events, the OCI East Houston Chapter Luncheon at the Monument Inn on the 5th, and the Houston Chapter Energy API Meeting at the Petroleum Club on the 14th. The only online event we have this month is the Prefab Connect from the 26th to the 29th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for January. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in.
Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.